We welcome all of our new online listeners. Hi, my name is Dr. Stephen Finney, the hosting pastor of XL Church in IOM America. My wife Jane and I are blessed that you decided to join us. XL represents Exchange Life. Our church is an outreach of IOM America. Everything we do sits upon the pedestal of compassion. So let's get started. Enjoy the worship, illustrative videos, prayer, and weekly message. Give to 
Father, we come before you today, fully acknowledging the power of your dwelling place in heaven. Father, to many people today, heaven simply just is not that important. They seem to be caught up in the day-to-day affairs and refute or reject what you have in store for the true indwelt believers and those who choose not to receive you upon the moment that you invite them in to be your chosen people. Lord, we understand that heaven is more than just hope for a better future. We also understand it is the core reason of your ultimate plan for all of creation. You set forth the gospel through your Son for 
all humans, but many, for whatever reason, choose not to accept you as the one and only Creator within the human heart. The common experience of losing loved ones and the eventual loss of our own lives make us realize the issue of heaven sooner or later. I pray that all people will wrestle with this issue, Lord. Most of us wonder what happens after we die, what heaven looks like, or many of us lose a loved one to death, and then we are faced with the great question of did they go to heaven or did they go to hell? Have we lost them forever? Is there a better place? Do we pretend that they went to heaven when there was no testimony that proved that? Father, we all need to ask the question, what is life after death? What is heaven like? Can we know something about heaven while we're here on earth? Father, you have given us many of these answers. I know without question that heaven is a source of hope, present-day guidance, and reveals our true meaning for us as believers. We know that hope for the future destination of true bridal members of Jesus Christ gains strength in your sovereign plan for all of mankind. Today, this very day, you provide for us guidance for living as your people. We know and accept that by giving us the certainty that there is more to life than this present world. Father, thank you for giving us the answers in the pages of your holy word. Thank you that it answers most of our common questions about heaven. May we all have our boundaries broadened by the indwelling life of the Holy Spirit. We accept the fact that we realize that heaven is not only about hope, but it is also about faith, love, and your final calling to bring us back home. Only you know, Father, that the true indwelt believers pray in the power and the authority of Jesus Christ who lives and breathes and takes action through each of us if we have accepted your invite as your people. And it is in Christ's name that we do pray. Amen. Why is it so important for us to understand what heaven is like? Even the unsaved people who disregard God, who disregard Jesus Christ, and certainly do not have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, they wonder about heaven. Many times people convert 
that are lost dead ones into having some kind of paradise after death. So their funerals are filled with exaggerations of hope. Heaven is more than just hope for a better future. It is at the heart of God's plan for all of creation. It is also the center of the human heart. The common experience of losing loved ones and eventually the loss of our own lives make the issue of heaven one with which everyone must wrestle. We wonder what happens when we die, when a loved one dies. Have we lost them forever? Are they in a better place? Will we see them again someday? What is life after death like? What is heaven like? Can we even know something about heaven? Well, I can assure you this, that heaven is a source of hope, guidance, and meaning for every believer. That means those who have actually received the Holy Spirit into their lives. So heaven gives us hope for the future destination and strength for life in the present. It also gives us guidance for living as God's people today, here and now. Meaning by giving us the certainty that there is more to life than this world. That applies both to the saved and the unsaved. The unsaved will have a type of life after death. But it simply will not be the eternal life on the new earth. Today we're going to be exploring some of the identity statements of a true believer being people who are possessed by God. We're going to cover some seals being opened and how God uses these seals to warn the people what is to come. We will also broaden our perspective about heaven. We will realize that heaven is not only about hope, but it is also about faith, the love of God, but this can only be inherited by a true born-again experience. Today we're going to be talking about opening of the seals. We're going to cover one through three. We are blessed that you have taken the time to listen to this message today. Hi, my name is Dr. Finney and I will be your teacher. Let's take a look at our opening passage. It's out of Revelation chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. Then I saw the Lamb broke one of the seven seals. I heard one of the four creatures saying as with a voice of thunder, Come! I looked and behold a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow. And a crown was given to him. And he went out conquering and to conquer. When he broke the second seal I heard the second living creature saying, Come! And another, a red horse, went out, and to him who sat on it, it was granted to take peace from the earth, and that men would slay one another, and a great sword was given to him. When he broke the third seal, I heard the third living creature saying, Come! I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard something like a voice in the center of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for Denarius, and three quarts of barley for a Denarius, and do not damage the oil and the wine. Let's take a look at our overview and a snapshot of the Antichrist. 
Many of the teachers through the ages claimed to know who the Antichrist was. Martin Luther and John Calvin said it would be a Roman Catholic Pope. A generation or two believed it to be Adolf Hitler. And a growing percentage of Christians today believe it is a UN figure. Many ask if I believe that he, the Antichrist, is living and active in the world today. That is an easy question to answer. It'd be yes. The Antichrist is always alive and temporarily well. I believe that he, Satan, possesses a human leader each generation since he does not know the appointed time of his seven-year reign. So for him, every generation, it could happen. Therefore, he was always setting up and preparing for the final days. This is why we will be spending the next few topics laying the foundation for this big topic. We need to stay away from conspiracy ideas and topics and focus on the efforts of the historical blend of a biblical eternal worldview of modern times. No matter how you look at it, things are certainly heating up in our world today. Revelation chapter 6 begins to unfold this great mystery. One of our four creatures shouts out the word like it was coming from a thundering rain cloud. John fixes his eyes on the long-awaited moment. He is an eyewitness to the divine revelations of God. He saw and heard them. Keep in mind that John previously was in tears due to the weight of the urgency of these seals being broken. Now the time has come, he responds to the thundering voice, and he sees the opening of the first seal, the revealing of the false Christ. Also remember that the rapture has already taken place, and now we are looking into the window of what is to come. Let's review our critical note. The great white judgment of the seals and the trumpets do not occur at the same time. One follows the other. The judgments that come with the seals are lesser than those that come from the trumpets. The Lamb of God is directly related to the judgments of the seals, and the angels are directly connected to the judgments of the trumpets, and God himself is intimately connected to the vials, the bowls of wrath. Let's review our first seal being revealed here. In this passage, we can find Satan replicating Christ once again. There's much controversy regarding who is on this white horse. Most theologians mutually agree it is not Christ Jesus. We know this to be true because of Psalms 45 and Revelation 19:11. Second, we find this rider with a bow, but no arrow, and not a sword. The bow has been a Hebrew symbol from the beginning of man's time as an instrument of terror and conquering with an iron hand. The sword, on the other hand, has been an eternal symbol of the sword of truth. Plus, Jesus is to come from the sky, riding a white horse with a host of other riders clothed in white and also riding a white horse as well. This rider that we're referencing today is fake. We can conclude that this seal is revealing none other than the false Christ, known to all of us as the one of sin, the Antichrist. 
This is not just an antichrist, it is Satan himself in the flesh. The reason why that Satan is so deceptive and such a suitable replicator is that he steals the pure symbols of Christ and uses them to accomplish his objectives. He has studied the customs, manners, symbols, and life of Christ with a mind of absolute intent. He knows how to deceive humanity because he knows mankind looks more to the externals than they do from the heart. This is why so many will be deceived in the end. He will look, sound, and act just like the original. It will take a believer knowing the heart of Jesus to know the fake from the real. When the bow is mentioned in Hebrew, it is always connected to bow and arrow. In this case, there's no arrow. Numbers 24.8 in Psalms 45 and Zechariah 9.14. When a ruler rides a white horse carrying a bow with no arrow, it is to symbolize he comes in peace. This is what ushers in Satan's first three and a half years of his tribulation of peace, peace, peace. But there will be no peace. The crown was given to him as another exciting factor. Crowns are always presented on the day of victory and not before. This rider comes into the scene with a crown that has been earned, a common mistake Satan makes throughout history. He probably does this because he knows that the Lord thy God will not give him one of his own. This passage begs for a question to be asked. Who gave him this crown? The answer is simple, the people of the world, the lovers of this new Christ. These lovers will be primarily the Jewish people that are on the earth during this time. They make a covenant agreement with Satan in their land with the promise that Satan will bring peace to all of Israel. This peace will only last three and a half years, as I previously stated, and then all hell is going to break loose. Remembering from previous teachings, the first three and a half years of the tribulation will be based on socialism. The second three and a half years will be based on monarchy. Finally, he went out conquering and to conquer. Satan does obtain many victories in the land. He is undefeated in all that he does. He gives the grave appearance of being the great victor of all times. He then becomes worshipped by all nations for conquering and bringing peace to the entire world, but not for long. In the second half of his reign, he reveals his true character, or should I say the lack of it. Let's take a look at the second seal. It says, When he broke the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come! And another, a red horse, went out, and to him who sat on it, it was granted to take peace from the earth. That's going to happen at the halfway mark of the Great Tribulation. Rider number one rides in on a white horse with a bow without an arrow, conquering without any bloodshed, at least none that hits the daily news. The second rider, the one on the red horse, is much different. He comes in like a raging warrior slaughtering anyone and everyone who gets in his way. The following two passages help us understand this raging warrior. Isaiah 63 verse 2 says, Why is your apparel red 
and your garments like one who treads in the winepress. If we skip ahead and look at Revelation chapter 12, verses 3 and 4, it says, Then another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns. His heads were seven diadems. And his tail swept away a third of the stars in heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. Again, we see God permitting a ruler to come and bring destruction on mankind. God has used many leaders throughout history to purify and purge the people. In this particular phase of Satan's rule, there will be a lot of destruction. The seal is revealing the second half of Satan's seven-year reign, which will be destruction like no man has ever seen. This will make Hitler like a schoolyard bully. There will be rivers of blood running through the streets of every community, in every nation, that resists his leadership. This is a time set aside for Satan to dump his stored-up wrath And guess who he's dumping his revenge upon? None other than those that love the Lord thy God. And during that time period, there will be 144,000 Jews who indeed love God, God's chosen children. From what we can discover in the word after he goes after these new indwelt Jewish bloodline people, He will merely unleash his wrath on anything or anybody that comes from God's creation. Let's keep in mind here that the power of Satan during this period is given to him by God. God uses the wrath of Satan to prepare for the grand finale. It is a hard fact to accept, but God uses the enemy for his righteous reasons. And that is to start the judgment process of mankind and those who are in the demonic realm. Thank God for the rapture has already taken the bride of Christ off the face of the earth so that we will not have to experience the ugliness of the second half of the tribulation. The phrase that men should slay one another will be an understatement. The bloodshed will not be an ongoing war. It will be open mayhem and slaughter. Every man will be against another. Hate will rule every heart and community. Brother against brother, sister against sister, children rising up and killing their parents, and trusted friends will not be found. The color of the streets will match the color of Satan's second horse, and that is red. The typical hostility and hatred that will be displayed by all mankind will reveal the most accurate condition of man's heart. This three and a half years of mayhem must occur to usher in the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, on his pure white horse. Let's take a look at what we have seen thus far. The first three and a half years is peace, peace, but really no peace. The second half of the seven-year reign is the red horse figure. This figure is allowed by God to conduct business in a ruthless and bloody fashion. There will be so much bloodshed that the blood of the people will run through the streets like a river. Believe it or not, this writer is commanded by God and his allowance to take the peace from the earth and reveal the true and final character of Satan himself. 
He is given the ability to rouse the hate and anger of all men, and his hate will be directed toward the Lamb, the Lion of Judah, that is Jesus Christ. These days the value of the beast of the field will have more sanctity than human life itself. The birth pangs of this movement are when mankind fights more for their rights of animals than they are of the humans. During this period, animal rights will be out of control. The spiritual parallel in this is Satan is the beast, and when the people worship the beast of the field over Christ, they worship Satan directly. You've heard, read, or seen wars and rumors of wars in your lifetime, but I can assure you, this war will be a war that will end all wars. This slaughter will activate the final acts of revenge from God himself. The rider of the red horse is clothed in the blood of all the past, present, and future rebellion against God. May we all pray for God's mercy over all family, friends, and strangers that are to come, as they are going to be forced to go through this if they are not a born-again indwelt believer at the point of the rapture. And finally, our third seal is that black horse. It says, when he broke the third seal, I heard the third living creature saying, Come. I looked, and behold, a black horse. And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard something like a voice in the center of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius. And do not damage the oil and the wine. Black has always been a color of persecution, divisions, sins, and lies. This writer seems to have his share of dark sins ruling his life, who will be known for his pride and ambition, speaking great words of arrogance and self-oriented acts of pretending to be God. He will be a black one for sure or he will have many hidden things in his life and his acts of politics. His dishonesty will be unmeasurable. His works of darkness will be darker than the darkest hour. He will be the most selfish being that has ever walked the face of the earth. Famine will spread throughout the world because of his need to hoard the goods of mankind for himself. And the Bible reveals to us even Satan's own people will turn against him in the end. In Zechariah 6, 2 through 6, it tells us, With the first chariot were red horses. With the second chariot, black horses. With the third chariot, white horses. And with the fourth chariot, strong, dappled horses. Then I spoke and said to the angel who was speaking with me, What are these, my lord? The angel replied to me, These are the four spirits of heaven going forth after standing before the Lord on the earth, with one of which the black horse are going forth to the north country, and the white goes forth after them, while the dappled ones go forth to the south country. When the strong ones went out, they were eager to go to patrol the earth. And he said, Go patrol the earth. So they patrolled the earth. As one could see, the Zechariah passage addresses the issue of the black horse being a symbol of the apostles and ministries of Christ, denoting 
their appearance of poverty and to the world's worthlessness. Many times the dark horse is a symbol of ill tidings, an executioner or angel of death. Black horses were also reckoned strong, well-made, and fit for labor, and the Ethiopians considered them the war horse. No matter the interpretation, Lamentations help us here to see the black in color was a sign of a horrific famine or slavery. Be assured of this, though, famine follows war. Food production is slowed when national funding or labor forces are directed toward war. Jesus said to us in Matthew 24:7, The nation will rise against nation, the kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. Famine and earthquakes have always been venues of judgment from God. This famine will be above any the world has ever seen. Countries have seen depressions since the beginning of nations. Most nations suffer from a light form of depression after every war. This particular depression that the Bible is speaking of, the war will be difficult to define. The war will be a religious one, but yet it will have tentacles buried into the national lands that are on the earth and those who believe they own them. The nations will find it difficult to stand behind the weakest nations because they won't be any particular nation to blame for the world war. That's because Satan started it and God's going to finish it. This so-called war of the nations will spring up within each nation. This offender has been diligently placing citizens or troops within each country. Each of these citizens will be trained to rise up and purify the earth when their leader calls upon them to do so. Many refer to this hidden nation as a religion, or the religion refers to themselves as a nation. Satan will certainly do that. In the final days, this group will be the oil and wine, or the privileged, most likely referring to that 144,000 bloodline Jews. The rider of this horse has a pair of scales in his hand, the rider shows favoritism to the rich. Barclay produces black bread. The Hebrew custom reveals that this bread was only taken by slaves or the poor. Wheat, on the other hand, was the rich white bread. On the day of John's writing, a penny was a day's wage and would buy eight measures of wheat with the horseman's new price you're looking at five days of wages for one measure quart of wheat. That is eight times the rate of wheat from John's early days. Here we have black symbolizing poor people or poor people bread and white representing white bread symbolizing the wealthy. This is a long lasting more of the poverty black people versus the white people. This concept, or truth, is at the core of all racism. Satan himself uses this dynamic to divide the people. Today you should find more and more news of racism being built, organized, and enacted between blacks and whites. In this case, all Christians will be associated 
with the black bread group because the Christians love all people. Whereas the wealthy who support the Antichrist will be the white bread. The statement do not harm the oil and the wine refers to not harming the wealthy that support this new socialistic system. This signifies that the wealthy people are excluded from this famine and despair, at least at first. Therefore, we conclude that this black horse famine will fall on the working class and poverty dependence. This is a classic example of the rich, young ruler, and the poor get poorer, but not for long. Under the sixth seal, we discover the enemy turning on the wealthy as well. This technique of blessing the rich with the losses of the poor has been used by politicians for many generations. Here in America, we call it gambling or politics, and generally it causes people to be in debt to the wealthy. The word tells us our debtors become our masters, a technique that works 100% every time. So what should we be watching for? The leader or group leaders who claim that they have the ability or politics to get all countries out of debt? It will start with the third world debt, like African countries? The third world countries will be the first group forced under this new kind of leadership and government. The second groups that will be forced under the system are the first and second world nations that are in debt to other nations. These are countries like the United States who cannot pay back their national loans. What would happen if some of these nations called in their loans on our country? Well, I know exactly what would happen. This new kind of government will step in, step up, by requesting the debtor to pay their debt. Once this happens, these countries, like the U.S., will be managed by this one world government until the debt is paid. Now the question is, who holds the keys to this big purse? Which gives us the ultimate big question. Who is the group or the big shot who has that kind of money? But most believe that is the Antichrist. Who will be one of the richest men, if not the richest, in the entire world that will hold the purse? Therefore, he will be able to demand of all countries to pay their debt or be forced under his government. I believe that's what will happen. And I also believe that's what the black horse is all about. Even though I already know the answer, I want to know if the people in the know truly know. The clue of the day is he has a black horse. God has revealed this to us. And he has a measurement scale in his hands. And this is why we, as a body of Christ, need to become debt-free as indwelt Christians. Never forget, the banker is always the master of the people, even if the people are a nation. When we talk about the seals, we need to remember the indwell believer is sealed in Christ. There's a direct revelation connection to the New Testament, and this revelation reveals the seal of the Holy Spirit for the true indwell believers. Today I want to give you just several of the who I am in Christ statements. 
First one is, I am forgiven. That's found in Ephesians 1, verses 6 through 8, and also in Romans 8, verse 1, and also verse 38. Secondly, I am reconciled with God, according to Romans 5.10 and 2 Corinthians 5.18-19. I am rescued, according to Matthew 20.28 and 1 Timothy 2.5-6. I am redeemed, Ephesians 1.13-14 and also Colossians 1.14. I am free, John 8.32-36. Romans 6, 22 through 23. I am bought with a price. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. And of course, chapter 7, verse 23. And finally, I am known by God. Romans 8, 29. And 2 Timothy 2, 19. Look up the verse Ephesians 1, 13 and discover how this seal of the Holy Spirit is, is given to true indwelt believers. The seal of the Holy Spirit directly connects to the seals that is being revealed to us in our passage today. Because of what he did, we are in the great I am. So when we look at the big question, who holds the keys to this big purse? That is none other than the Antichrist. And as we prepare to Look at the opening of the next few seals. Keep an attitude of prayer. A mindset of who you are as being in the great I am. This is what will give you clarity through the Holy Spirit to understand these miraculous seals. Until next time.